Section number six of Mailer of the Silver Hand and Other Stories of the Bright Ages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Mailer of the Silver Hand and Other Stories of the Bright Ages by David Byrne the smiling saint one saint makes many almost without number were the souls that saint columban the great irish missionary of the seventh century led to god numerous also were the disciples who followed him and were helped by him to reach a state of perfection among the latter few are more interesting and engaging than decalus very young must the boy have been when he left Ireland to settle with Columbian in East Anglia, and when the great founder of religious houses passed from England into France and began to build the famous abbey of Luxeuil, Delius could not have been very old. Certainly the lads of that period were not wanting in grit. Hard living, hard labor, the perils and dangers of travel, immense application, to study the performance of humblest offices these things were the daily bread of the young who gave themselves to the service of christ the source of courage such a willing happy service too decalus himself seems to have been the very soul of cheerfulness one of the many beautiful qualities that endeared him to his abbot he might well have earned for himself the nickname of the smiler for no matter what work he happened to be engaged in, his face was always bright and sunny. St. Ignatius once asked a young brother why he was always laughing, bidding him in the same breath to persevere in that holy cheerfulness which makes for perseverance in all good works. The same question was put to the young Decalus by St. Columban, and as the incident had been prettily versified by an anonymous poet, we cannot do better than quote the lines in full. Drawing the water, hewing the wood, Decalus the happy, Decalus the good, Never without a smile on his face, Full of a sweet particular grace, Serving at table, singing in choir, Fetching the logs to the great hall fire, Teaching the boys their sacred song, Smiling, smiling the whole day long. His saintly father, with calm gray eyes, looked on the youth with glad surprise. Odiculus happy, Odiculus good, tending the sick or watching the gate, laboring early and resting late, teaching grammar or teaching song. Why art thou smiling the whole day long? Deculus blushed, and I smile, said he, because no one can take my God from me. A great sorrow came to both Columban and Deculus when the fierce Queen Bruchant and her unworthy son, the King of Burgundy, expelled the abbot from the monastery of Luxeuil. But, like the man of courage that he was, Columban immediately set off to preach the gospel and to found more monasteries elsewhere. Among his followers was Deculus. Bravely they marched away, setting their faces toward another country and leaving behind them an abbey that soon became one of the glories of France. 
Now from what follows it is clear that although Deculus was so merry and so active he was not very robust, or it may be that even at this period he was still nothing more than a growing boy. For after they had gone some distance on their weary journey the lad's bodily strength was exhausted, and he was compelled to own that he was unable to walk any further. To part from his beloved abbot was indeed a hard thing, but it was inevitable. Greatly compassioning his disciple, St. Columban gave him the permission he sought to lead the life of a solitary. They were still in the kingdom of Burgundy, and no doubt St. Columban knew that the comparative fertility of the neighborhood would furnish the young hermit with the necessaries of life. Nevertheless, the parting was a very painful one. To say farewell was a bitter sorrow to both abbot and monk. Shedding many tears, Columban said, God Almighty, out of love to whom thou didst leave thy native land, and hast ever been to me a most obedient child, bring us together in the majesty of his glory. Then Deculus threw himself into the abbot's arms, weeping loudly and long. The Lord gave thee blessing out of Sion, said the saint, gently disengaging himself from the sobbing lad, and may he make thee to see Jerusalem in prosperity all thy life long. For the first time in his life Deculus found himself in actual solitude. Throwing himself on his knees, he prayed fervently to his Father in heaven. Then he began to penetrate into the depths of the forest. He would build for himself a little hut far away from the homes of men, and there he would live on the fruits of the earth. For years he had been accustomed to hard fare, and in the forest he would sometimes find berries and nuts. Commending himself to God as he went along, he came across a swineherd whose pigs were feeding upon the acorns. The man was astonished to see a stranger in such an out-of-the-way place. Deculus told him that he was a monk, and that he wanted to build a hermitage in some solitary spot where there was a stream of water. The swineherd said there was only one such place, and that was close to a little lake called Luthra. Could you not show me this place? said Deculus. I daren't leave my pigs to take care of themselves, the man answered. Don't be afraid of that, Deculus urged, planting his own staff in the ground. If you will go with me, this stick of mine shall keep them together until you return. We need never be astonished at the number of miracles that were worked in those primitive times. The simple, fervent faith of people made them possible, as well as the sanctity of many great servants of God who performed them. Fully believing the word of the young monk, the swineherd brought him to Luthra, returning to find his pigs quietly feeding in the neighborhood of the youth's staff. To the great joy of Deculus, he found not only a lake with springs of sweet water, but a little chapel dedicated to a saint who was greatly loved at that period, St. Martin of Tours. The young hermit's cheerfulness had indeed been much tried by the parting of his beloved father, Columban, but God had been good to him in leading him 
to so pleasant a retreat and to the neighborhood of the forest chapel, and his heart was full of thankfulness. But Deicolus soon had reason to remember that the chapel was private property. It belonged to a gentleman named Wifeheart, and served by a priest who was anything but an amiable man. One day when the monk went to make his usual prayer, he found that the door and the windows had been filled with thorns and brambles. Disregarding these impediments, Deicolus entered the chapel. When the priest heard of it, he told Wifeheart, who flew into a rage and ordered his servants to find the hermit and give him a severe flogging. Unfortunately for their master, the men obeyed him literally, and almost immediately afterwards he was seized with a complaint that threatening to be fatal. His good wife Berthilda, not doubting but the disease had been sent as a punishment for her husband's cruel conduct to the hermit, sent her servants to implore Deicolus to visit the castle. With all haste the holy man obeyed the summons, and, praying fervently to God, did not leave Wifeheart until he was cured. Great good came out of the evil this man had done, for, as a thank-offering to God and Deicolus, he bestowed upon the hermit not only the little estate of Luthra, but the chapel itself and the adjoining wood. Full of gratitude to God, Deicolus sang, This is my rest for ever and ever. Here will I dwell, for I have chosen it. Soon after this, it chanced that the king, Quothair II, came to the forest to hunt. Quietly reading in his cell, Deicolus was startled by the sudden appearance of a wild boar hard-pressed by the dogs. Rushing into the hermit's little oratory, the beast fell, panting before the altar, while the monk, standing at his door, confronted the hunters and the dogs. The boar had taken sanctuary, said Deicolus, and his life must be spared. Marveling at the hermit's courage, the king asked him many questions and soon found that he was dealing with one of God's saints and a disciple of Columban. It is the duty and the privilege of the rich to offer gifts, and before the king rode away he had bestowed upon Deicolus the game in the forest, the fish in the streams, and the grapes in the neighboring vineyards. Then the hermit called to mind that Columban had once told him that, before his death, he should rule over three kingdoms. Here was the prophecy's fulfillment. So now Deicolus had means to build and support a community. Novices flocked to him in numbers, and his house soon became an important abbey. Journeying to Rome, he returned with a special charter from the reigning pontiff, and many privileges. With great gentleness and sweetness, and an abiding cheerfulness which endured him to his subjects, he ruled his community for many happy years. End of section 6. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.